You're listening to the Give Me Five Podcast, episode 130. This is the Give Me Five Podcast, a semi-entertaining show about very entertaining things. We talk about pop culture, nostalgia, movies, and music, which are all things keeping us from going completely batshit crazy while stuck in the house. I don't really think they're keeping us from doing that because we're already there. Helping other people think that we're not crazy? Sure. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my name is Greg, old man of the lurching weapon, and I am joined by the intestine of derange- derangement, Jimmy. Sounds about right. And the girl with the farting blade, Rob. Also sounds about right. I am the farting I, blade. I did find a kung fu movie name generator earlier today and ran our names through it, and that is what came out. And the fact that Rob came out as the girl with the farting blade, because <laughs> his was the first one I did, mean meant that I had to actually go with the shtick. So if it didn't make sense to you, just it made me happy. See, listen earlier to what I just said about being crazy. Anyway. We are going to talk this week about the Beastie Boys story, a book that just came out by one of our previous guests, Red Winter in the West. And later on, we are going to be joined by Abid Benwali. He is a karate instructor. He's a, a competitive martial artist and a musician. And he is going to join us to review Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon and to talk about martial arts. Super excited about that. Yeah. It was fun. We we did the interview last night. We are recording on two different nights. It was a good interview. Oh, well, way yeah, to ruin the so illusion. Yeah. I was keeping the illusion going, you dick. That's okay. <laughs> so it was an awesome interview. Definitely stick around and uh, check it out. This is a review show. There will probably be spoilers. We're going to try to avoid any major we won't we won't spoil the ending of the book and we'll give you a brief rundown of the BC Boys story but if you haven't seen Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon what are you doing with your life All right cuz this is a movie everybody needs to watch at some point or another You should go watch it and then come back and discuss I think it's safe to say that it, that every bad person that has ever lived probably just didn't see that movie I I think that's a fair assumption if you haven't seen it, you are probably an evil individual. Yeah. So, moving on from here, guys, any news? Uh, certainly. I have some, um, some pretty cool news, I think. Uh, last week, as of this recording, I got to watch the Blair Witch Project along with one of the directors and the producers of the film and that uh, now the movie wasn't supplied, but the service was uh, courtesy Mopop, which is the museum of pop culture based out of Seattle, Washington. You can oh, go cool. to their website, Mopop.org. And from the very top of the screen, if you click on exhibitions and events and then go to events and movies at Mopop, they're going to be doing this uh, for the foreseeable future. Every Friday night, you can watch a movie along with some really cool people. And occasionally uh, some people, perhaps from the film or tied to the film. 
Um, it will have already happened by the time this is released, but so far, at least since I started watching, they've done the Blair Witch Project and Alien. Ooh. So uh, something definitely um, to check out. There's some pretty cool people in that group. That some of them uh, joined yeah. up on the podcast inter- uh, Instagram page. Yep. Uh, also, my dog, in honor of it, decided to fall asleep in the corner of a, of a room for some reason with her face squished against the wall. So it looked just like a scene from the Blair Witch Project. So mm-hmm. it was uh, it was fantastic. Uh, definitely to uh, you know watch along with people who who are fans of it and some people who are experiencing it for the first time as well. Uh, One more thing, guys. I had the privilege of talking to the directors of the new film, Blood Machines, that comes out on May 21st. Definitely check out that special edition episode if you are um, a a fan at all. If you've seen the video for uh, Carpenter Brutes, Turbo Killer, uh, they're the same people involved with that. And uh, if you're kind of searching for some inspiration, definitely check that out. So this would be a film very much in line with our, some of our retro 80s futuristic kind of stuff that we talk about and show. Absolutely. It's a uh, uh, it's a spiritual successor of the first Blade Runner. That's mm. so very cool yeah. futuristic stuff. Yeah, um, we had a crowded house, so uh, that's why you're you're only going to hear me on there because we are limited to uh, the number of people we can have uh, on this service currently. Yep. So definitely check that out. That will probably be coming out soon, but possibly before this episode, because I know you finished it. So it's already out guys. Check it out. Oh, sweet. Cool. So one of the very weird things about this whole, you know, stuck at home thing that of course everyone's talking about, blah, 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 blah is that I actually feel like I'm a little closer to certain celebrities now because you kind of see them in their real world and they're with no makeup and just kind of, I didn't see her with no makeup. I don't know if I want to, I don't really want to see her with makeup either or at all, but don't lie. You watch her all the time. (laughs) No, not my thing, but I have felt like I've been a little closer to certain celebrities and I've been, Impressed by certain celebrities, one that will um, the uh, Good News Network, which is what uh, what's the name from the office? Um, uh, John Krasinski. John Krasinski. Yeah, John Krasinski's doing awesome things just right out of his house. Just a lot of people are doing stuff out of their house. But the other day, I heard that Post Malone, he of the vocoder and tattooed face, uh, was doing a Nirvana cover concert. I actually do not mind Post Malone. Um, I find that a lot of his stuff he releases it with like censored versions that I, and my kid likes it so I can pick music to listen to in the car. Plus he did this, the song from the Spider-Man movie, which is good, but don't really have a problem with him. But also Nirvana is kind of uh, sacred ground and thinking of like some like white rapper dude doing it. I was a little concerned. However, after it happened, I heard a lot of people raving about it. And these are people that I know that are big music snobs. So I went on YouTube, so it's uh, you can just type in Post Malone and Nirvana. I went on YouTube, and I was working, so I wasn't really watching it, but I had it on. And it was so good that I actually thought that it had switched to, like, the next video and was playing, like, uh, a real Nirvana concert. 
uh, they it was uh, I believe it was Drain You, and there's like a kind of a guitar part to one, of, and they did deep cuts. It wasn't just like oh, let's just play all the hits. They played a few hits, but it was mostly like deep cuts and like songs that are like on one EP. So they did like uh, Francis Farmer will have a revenge, school, something in the way. Um, they also they did Come as You Are, which a lot of people know, Heart Shape Box. But either way, this is a charity event. It's free on it's free on YouTube. They made uh, more than five hundred thousand dollars for for uh, um, the World Health or- Health Organization. Uh, they did record from his house with uh, Travis Barker, who's a drummer from Blink-182. But it was really good. Uh, it was so good. Go ahead. You look like you're going to say something. It, I I saw the like an Instagram post about it, and I was like, okay, well, that's kind of cool. I, I know Post Malone has a, a, a background in, um, in country music um, and has some roots in rock and roll as well. And the guy killed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really, really freaking good. And he wore a dress like Kurt Cobain did. Yeah. Which was, it just made it that much better. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was so good that the original bass player, who's who's very finicky about what he likes and doesn't like, Chris Novoselic, very, gave uh, him a complete thumbs up. Very much a hermit. Yeah. And Courtney Love also gave it a thumbs up, which... Well, she also you never you never know where she's going to go one way or the other. But if you, it's something you don't watch, really know where that thumb has been. Ooh, that is you are not wrong. Not wrong. <laughs> so, highly suggest that. Uh, also, you'll probably have um, the episode might not be out by then. But MST3K is doing a live riff show uh, on May third. I believe that is Sunday night. Uh, Circus Day short is a new, it's a, a little short movie that's brand new. Moon Zero Two, they're redoing an episode from their first season. So that will be available on Pluto TV, which is free. Uh, Redbox, Vizio, all these things, it's free, they're all free. And you can watch those. I'm sure that they will be available later. You just won't be able to chat with the people. The cool thing they're doing there is in between the individual sets, they're actually going to, they're recording this for something in between that you're going to actually be able to see them discussing the movie and figuring out what they're going to do next. So you'll see them actually like do pre pro, so to speak for the movies. So I am interested in seeing that. Hopefully I am not busy. Now, uh, Rob. Yes. The reason why I was, uh, not allowing you to pretend that, uh, we haven't done the interview yet was because I want to be able to say this phrase right here. We're going to skip the Florida story this week because Ooh. our interview went long and we needed to cut something. So the Florida oh weirdness. Oh my god! Yeah. So the Florida weirdness is going to have to wait. I apologize to all That's of our okay. listeners. Yeah, because Greg is a bitch. Wait, what? Fair enough. Jimmy, <laughs> tell me about Red Winter in the West. Well, Greg. And tell me. Sure. No, Red don't tell Winter. Rob. He just said I was a bitch. You can't tell him. Rob, mute yourself or take off your headphones. Uh, Red Winter. Don't worry. I won't give you know too much. Uh, I won't drop too many spoilers here. Red Winter in the West is the uh, second book in the Survivors trilogy. Um, that first one being Massacre at Yellow Hill. This book takes place three years after the events of the massacre at Yellow Hill. It is written by C.S. Umble, and it was released on April 20th, 2020. 
this year. So it's only been out for a very short amount of time. In this novel, the after effects of the events at the Mines of Yellow Hill, a cult's attempt to summon cosmic horrors and bring about the end of civilization are still being felt. It's it's very hard to put down, um, which is um, I've not been getting a lot of sleep lately. And, and I think it's really because of this book. Um, you force yourself to put it down at night. I like to kind of read to relax, I guess you can say. And it really just gets my mind racing. C.S. Umbel is so descriptive in his writing. Um, it, it just really, really gets your, your mind going and, and visualizing everything. And it's very hard to turn off. I know for me, um, yeah, the, in the 50 pages I read, there were at least two very well-described wounds. Yes. Um, I'm going to, I want to uh, comment on that. And maybe this is one that you'll, um, that you're, you're thinking of. Um, you, you guys have bought a rolled up carpet before, correct? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, when you unroll the carpet, and you lay it on the ground, it takes a little while to settle. So some of, you know, maybe the corner kind of sticks up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. He, in the very beginning of this book, he uh, describes that uh, when he's talking about a wound. Um, it's, uh, uh, yeah. I don't think it's, go, uh, maybe it, it's you, you might have gone past it. I'm surprised. I, I thought this might have been the one you're talking about, but um, start where except at the ends where the edge of the carpet curled up that cream colored curl of fabric uh, that now reminded him of the lazy furl of skin peeled away from his father's ribs. Yes. Uh, the yes. place where the beast ate. Um, that kind of stuff right there. I just, I, I, I see it. I, you know, and uh, this would make such an incredible series. Um, I think I, I'd love to see something like this visualized, but it's like Greg said, very hard to put down, um, unrelenting um, where it needs to be, but also it just so well paced. Uh, it, it does give you. Um, time to kind of digest. And if you can put the book down at that point, great. But the action picks up really quickly. And, um, it's, I, I think one of the biggest things I, uh, our, our biggest knock on Massacre at Yellow Hill was that it was too short. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. this, this one, not so much. Uh, I don't mean that at all in a bad way. This one, I can't say that it's too short and say it's, it's the right length. Um, you do see the connection that CS Humble actually alluded to and, and acknowledged on the show previously that in, uh, Minotaur, one of the stories does take place in a reality that the Survivor's Trilogy does as well. And you get a glimpse of that in that book. And as soon as I found that, I just, I cheered. Uh, I thought it was, you know, just so clever. And uh, C.S. Humble's writings, just so clever and, and just so much fun. 
And uh, you, there might even be an appearance of a uh, legendary and Hall of Fame baseball player in there as well. Dale Barra? That's not, no. Sid Bream. The slide. Oh, Sid Bream. <laughs> uh, no. But uh, you'll just have to read it, find out for yourself characters that you actually uh, care about, very well-developed characters, a lot of the same faces from Massacre at Yellow Hill. Although I can say, um, don't get too attached to any one character because you don't know who's going to be around till the end. I absolutely cannot wait for the third and final book in the trilogy and... Uh, can't wait to talk to C.S. Humble here uh, soon, hopefully. The book is, I believe, five ninety nine on Amazon for a Kindle edition and about 15 bucks for a paperback. Uh, as we said earlier, a, a badass cover. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely one of those kind of books that I, uh, you know, really like to have a physical copy of that I can always grab because you could open, I think to any page in here and, and read a couple of pages and, and have a, have a good story in itself <laughs> and also not be able to sleep. Yeah, man. I, I won't fall asleep till like four o'clock in the morning. Nice. Excellent. So if you can shut that part of your brain off, cool. I can't, I got to get up and walk a angry terrier. No, it's not angry. We're going to go from something, well, from something spooky and Western to something uh, completely different. The Beastie Boys story, which is streaming on Apple TV. Yes. Yes, it's another streaming service. I I am not paying for it. Not because I'm cheating, but because I bought a new phone and it came with a year free. Okay. Um, I have watched one other thing on it, which I don't quite remember what it was, but it was just to test it out. But then I saw that the Beastie Boys story was going to be on there about a year or two ago. I reviewed the Beastie Boys book mm-hmm. uh-huh. and it was one of my favorite books of the year. So I'm not going to really go into the history and all that stuff. But the be- but it was very interesting. There, there was two routes I'm going to take with this. First one was uh, one day last week I watched The Last Dragon. It takes place in, you know, mid 80s New York on the streets. Mm hmm. And it really so brings you there boys. And, and it brings you there. And, and I wanted to revisit that world. So I had, so I sat down and started watching the beastie boys story um, to basically quote unquote, go there. And, you know, they, it starts off in early eighties, 83, 84. They really start taking off 86, 87. And you see a lot of the same kind of stuff that you would see in last dragons. That was one thing. The other thing was it was exceptionally good. My thought was I was going to watch an hour of it, mm-hmm. take out my dog, do some stuff, watch the rest of it. Yep. Directed um, by uh, Spike Jones. Yep. Yeah, I forgot about that. Directed mm-hmm. by Spike Jones, hosted by Adam Horowitz and Mike D. Uh, it was released on uh, April 24th. Anyway, I was going to watch about an hour, whatever. I was like, okay, the dog was starting to whine. I looked. I had watched like an hour and 30 something minutes. I'm like, oh, crap. Went right by. Mm-hmm. What? It is is actually a, almost like a TED talk with uh, Mike D and Adam Horvitz standing you know, on stage at a big theater venue talking, and there's a some a not a slideshow, but there's images played behind them as they're talking. Those images and videos and other clips are actually controlled by Spike Jones, so he does mess with them. 
when you know Mike D's talking about how cool he was, and we'll put some like crazy picture of him wearing something stupid or whatever. Mm-hmm. But so it's a, a little bit of interplay there. But you see a lot of these classic pictures. Uh, they talk about time with Russell Simmons. They talk about how that they really fell ass backwards into opening up for Madonna because of basically an accident. Like not even an accident. They someone contacted Russell Simmons and thought that he was representing the Fat Boys. And he was like, oh, yeah, they're busy. They're out on tour. But we got these guys called the Beastie Boys. So the Beastie Boys opened up for Madonna like before they had ever released an album or a big album, at least. And just because someone thought that Russell Simmons was in charge of Fat Boys. It's kind of cool. Um, so anyway, they do that kind of stuff. And just to kind of put what Jimmy said you know, through the thing is when it was over, it, I was so hyped up. I, I watched it. I think it was got over around 2.30 in the morning, and I could not fall asleep. And you released your own hip-hop video. I did release my own hip-hop video, dressed in some 70s clothing, stuff like that. No, it was just like it ends. I, you hear like Intergalactic or whatever they're playing. They're playing a couple songs. Um, Shake Your Rump, of course. And I was like, man. So I just like put on my headphones and just was like listening to old Beastie Boys. And it was really sad because if you guys don't know, um, uh, Adam Yauch. Uh, passed away uh, what four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. He's one of the members of the Beast. Twenty twelve. Yep. Uh, at the age of forty seven, he passed away from from cancer, from salivary cancer of all things, which is very very mm. rare. Wow. Um, and he. Uh, so they talk about their last show, and it wasn't anything special. It was just a, it was a Bonnaroo show in two thousand nine. Went off without a hitch. It was a good show. They're like, okay, they we'll get together. We'll make another album. They did, and then. He came out and said he had cancer. Um, they talk a lot about one of the things that Adam Yash said, or a lyric that he wrote, because a lot of times they would like freeform on some of their songs, one of which actually took a huge place. And I think I talked about this last episode. When the Me Too movement started, the lyrics started like getting sent around um, from sh- the song Sure Shot. Sure Shot. So I want to say a little something that's long overdue. The disrespect to women has got to be through to all the mothers and sisters and the wives and the friends. I want to offer my love and respect to the end. Now, this was a big deal because this was in the the heat of gangster rap movement when all bitches and hoes and all that stuff was a problem. And this was basically something that he said right there. But it was a counterpoint to the way they acted back in the 80s when they were like bros and Song, you know, writing songs about girls being in the kitchen and being whatever song called girls. And it was just a really interesting counterpoint him saying that like of all the stuff them saying that of all the stuff that was important to them, the fact that that lyric lived on and helped and a movement and help people was really was important. And apparently someone asked Yauch before he died, obviously about like, well, aren't you a hypocrite for writing a lyric like that and being all for the women's movement? when you would write lyrics like that, you know, aren't you a hypocrite? And he, his, his response was awesome. I'd rather be a hypocrite than the same person forever. It was like, damn, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, people change. So either way, um, if you have access to Apple TV, I highly suggest watching it. If you don't find a way to watch it, cause it was really good. Even if you're not a giant beastie boys fan, I liked them. Probably not in my top 25, mm-hmm. but that eh, could be but, in my top 25. Um, I saw an advertisement. I turned on my TV and this was right there. And I said, okay, there's the only, there's the one thing I will probably ever be interested 
and that's on Apple TV. What's uh, weird is it's it's not it's very not heavy handed about his death. Mm-hmm. But I still was crying by the end of it. I don't know why. Like it was they were like, you know, it was the last show. Basically what I said, it's the last show. And then he came out and said this and then he was gone. Like they don't have make a big deal. They don't make a big deal about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um he you know, they they do talk about how their path all the people that cross their paths that are no longer with them, you know, like their parents and stuff like that, which is interesting. But um, it was, it was just, it's just good. It was very, very interesting. Um, good snippet of that life. And I learned, I actually learned a lot, even though I read the book. So watch the movie, read the book, uh, listen to beastie boys anthology, get yourself a trial and cancel it immediately after you watch. I think it's actually free right now because of everyone being locked at home. So, well, I think it's possible that it's free right now. Awesome. Yeah. So joining us for the last part of this episode, we've got Abid Benwali. He is a sensei. He is a martial arts competitor. And welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Welcome. So, of course, I know you from you are my child sensei. Yes. And I I apologize for that. (laughs) (laughs) On a good day, he's good. On a bad day, he's pretty frustrating, but... He nah, he's a good kid. He's a good yeah. kid. Yeah, he's, he's a good kid. Already shown that he's got more uh, grace than his father. That is true. <laughs> that is true. I only <laughs> fell three times, one of which the stair broke. Okay. Ouch. Yeah, the, the front of the stair broke off, and I, uh, I, I broke my butt. And it's basically, <laughs> man. Yeah, that's not fun. Yeah. So. uh just tell me just about your life, like your your growing up, how you got into martial arts. Yeah, definitely. So um I actually so I grew up in Connecticut. Um I was born in New Haven. Um I did some kung fu when I was young, like six years old, uh for a little bit when I was up north. Uh moved down here in like ninety-five. Um and really didn't get back into any formal martial arts training. I didn't have any uh, want or driver. I didn't want to do martial arts. Uh, when I started training here in Orlando, Florida, um, that was in uh, 97. Um, I only started training because uh, my two younger brothers, they wouldn't train unless I actually joined as well. So I'm the oldest of three. Um, my mom was like, hey, just do it. And you can stop after whatever amount of time or whatever. So I was like, all right, cool, whatever, I'll do it. So I trained for maybe about a year. And I told my mom, I was like, ma, uh, this martial arts stuff is too easy. I'm just going to quit. <laughs> so, uh, so I quit training for about a month. Uh, during that time frame, I got real sick. I uh, I'm a type one diabetic. So I uh, became sick. I was hospitalized for about a week. Um, and uh, I just wasn't training during that time anyways, because because I quit. My brothers were still training. So when I was healthy again, I would walk them across. We live like right across the street from the dojo. So I would walk across the street, take them to class. One day there was like a sidewalk sale and there were some nunchucks out front. So I was like, yo, came home. I'm like, yo, mom, can you you buy me some nunchucks? She's like, no, why would I buy you nunchucks? You quit karate. (laughs) Look, ma, if if you buy me some nunchucks, I promise I'm going to go back to class. So she bought me this 
whatever, $10 set of nunchucks, some little foam, you know what I mean? Nunchucks that you see. And, uh, that was the end of that. So started training with Chucks, um, picked it up really well. Um, ended up being on the competition team. Our school team back then, my original dojo was, uh, internal power martial arts was the name of the school. It doesn't have the same name, uh, as Ethan, Ethan trains at championship martial arts is the name of the company. Now, um, we merged with, uh, with another, uh, uh, another set of schools, but, um, so yeah, back then we, we were a big like sport karate competition level team. Our school team ended up becoming, uh, uh, sponsored. So we traveled nationally. I started competing nationally in, uh, 2000, 2000, 2001, 2002 as a, as a teenager, uh, competing nationally pretty heavy, um, during high school. Um, all over the country in sport karate, doing forms, weapons, and uh, point sparring. Um, so that was kind of like the initial uh, point of my training. Um, following that, uh, I started teaching. I earned my black belt. I started competing as a black belt in 2000. I did not actually have a black belt. I didn't actually test for my black belt until late 2001. So I competed like a season and a half as a black belt, even though I was only uh, a brown belt at the time. Um, received my black belt in 01, started teaching late 01, early 02. Um, so I've been teaching since uh, since I was 15 years old. Um, teaching wow. for, for 18 years, training for, for 23. Um, and then, yeah, that was pretty much, uh, that was pretty much like the, the start of, of martial arts for me. Um, nunchucks is kind of how I fell, fell in love with the martial arts. Um, but I, I really became like a fighter. That's kind of like my forte. Mr. Nice. Marcus can, can uh, attest to that. I, I've watched some videos. <laughs> There's a few uh, yeah, so there. The, it was interesting cause we, we spoke, uh, I don't know, not too long ago. We were talking about something at the, the place and you, usually he's out teaching the kids and he had mentioned being from Connecticut, and it was right around the same time that the the Aaron Hernandez documentary came out. You had mentioned, you know, various things like um, about your life in Connecticut, and my wife is from there too, so she had mentioned oh, okay. some stuff. Um, so she had mentioned stuff, and then I watched the Aaron Hernandez documentary, and I was like, and, and you you had mentioned that there was there was I, I think you said there was like fights or something like that in Connecticut, right? Yeah, I grew up in a rough neighborhood. Um, I had to uh, kind of hold my own back then. Um, this was like prior to like martial arts, like formal training, training. Um, grew up in a rough neighborhood. I actually used to uh, hide across the street um, waiting for the bus to come uh, because the, the older kids, they would pick on me. So I'd hide across the street, like behind a tree. Bus would come. I'd run across the street, get on the bus, sit in the front row, like right behind the bus driver. <laughs> Um, so it was a rough neighborhood, but uh, my grandfather, um, who was a World War II vet, um, my mom ratted me out. She's like, tell your gramps what you've been doing. So, uh, <laughs> Thanks, mom. Yeah, we were, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we were down here in Florida, actually. My my grandparents and all my aunts and uncles, they already lived down here. We were still up in Connecticut. We were down here on vacation, I think maybe Christmas break or something. And uh, my grandfather's a police officer, World War II vet, so kind of like a like a hard dude. And he's like, what you mean you're hiding across the street? It's like, someone gives you problems, you fight them. <laughs> like legit, 
as soon as vacation was done, like the week, first week back to school was my first fight. Like, yeah, that was, did I tell you the snowman story? No. I didn't, should, I don't know if I should go into details. It's you, a, I think you, I think you have to. All right. All right. So, <laughs> you, you've kind of already hinted at it. That would be mean oh, tonight. Because whatever, whatever, story whatever now. we're thinking is way worse than what it probably, well, maybe not. I don't know. It, it wasn't, it wasn't like anything too crazy, but uh, basically, um, at the end of Christmas break, me and my buddies, we, we were building a snowman. So we rolled, you know, snow up and down this little hill, build the snowman over the weekend, decorated it with all kinds of things. Carrot knows the whole deal, right? Monday, get back. Snowman's like obliterated all over the floor, smashed. And there's a group of kids laughing. And there was this one dude. His name was Matt. I wish I knew his last name because of social media and everything nowadays, man, I looked that dude up and I'd like to communicate with him, but uh, he was always, you know what I mean? One of those bully types. I don't think he grew up in a great household. You could hear, you know, parents fighting from across the apartment complex. It wasn't good, but um, yeah. So he's like laughing about it. I'm like, yo man, did you, did you break our snowman? He's like, yeah. What if I did? I didn't ask any more questions. Just one punch. <laughs> Hit him in the nose. Nose was bloody. He ran home. I got on the bus. I went to school. Um, <laughs> He replaced his nose with a carrot. Yeah, that was it. And uh, we didn't really get in trouble for stuff like that back then. So that kind of, that sparked like, oh, like I could be just as tough as all these dudes. So I had to hold my own and uh, scrap here and there. Um, needless to say, his big brother's waiting for me with a baseball bat after school <laughs> when the bus came to drop us back off at home. But I was faster than his brother. I didn't stand and fight a dude with a baseball bat. <laughs> I did uh, I did make it home okay. So that was my first little scuffle. Um, and this is like all pre-martial arts training, really. Um, I'm like, I don't know, seven years old, eight years old. Um, I did the Kung Fu, but it wasn't like, again, it wasn't serious. Um, I didn't get serious till till I moved down here to uh, to Florida. So yeah, that was my first scuffle. <laughs> nice. So you you mentioned that you mentioned the uh, moving towards the fighting kind of yes. thing, like the the the, the uh, I'm saying professional, but the championship style fighting, not just fighting in the street competition. competition fighting. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Exactly. So. Yeah. I started competing um, in sport karate tournaments um, under what they call like speed fighting or point fighting initially um, as a junior. So like probably 12, 13, 14, 15, I'm competing in sport karate tournaments. Not until I was probably 14, 15, 16. Was it like at a national level fighting top level guys, um, you know, flying all over the country every month, going somewhere else, flying here, there, fighting all over the place. Um, so I did that up until I was about 16. I played varsity basketball in high school. So I took off for basketball season and through all that, I was working. So I always taught, I trained, I competed and I played basketball. Um, but I got to a point where, um, at that level, like, you know, we were, you know, we were, we were pretty, you know, legit as a team, at a, as a school team. And we didn't just go out and fight. Like we did forms competition, weapons competition. Obviously me, I did nunchucks. We did like a team demonstration competition as well, um, which we were ranked like first or second place multiple years in a row. We were on ESPN from like 99, 2000, 2001, and 2002. Those four years we were on ESPN for the U.S. Open, um, which is uh, one of the biggest martial arts uh, sport karate 
um, uh, events that uh, is hosted. Um, but I got out of that and I started boxing um, in like 04. So I got into boxing 04, started fighting full contact, um, did that for many years, uh, was supposed to turn pro around 07, 08, uh, but I got married instead. <laughs> um, there you go. So I uh, got married, uh, started a family. It would have been kind of rough, like traveling and fighting on a professional level in regards to boxing. But boxing was like one of my first loves, even before martial arts. I always loved boxing, like golden age, like, you know, Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. You know what I mean? Like the the very first celebrity I ever met, I ran into uh, was it Buster Douglas. Was he the one that beat Tyson? Sure. Yes. I ran into him yes. while like like in the one month that he was champion. He was at a hotel in <laughs> in Marco Island and I just and with his entourage and I happened to run into him. Yeah, our school team um back then, like uh so Sammy Vasquez, just to name drop a little bit, Sammy Vasquez was part of our school team. He uh he dances and like does tricks and stuff for Chris Brown on tour. Um, okay. and like Missy Elliott, when she did the halftime thing, whenever that was two or three years ago, he was up there flipping around. Um, <laughs> Mark Canadazato is, he does Hollywood. Um, he's also one of our people. Um, he, uh, he was actually Spider-Man stunt double in the last Spider-Man movie. Um, oh, wow. cool. so yeah, like all homegrown. And then, uh, Greg, you've seen, uh, Eric, he was another one. Uh, Eric. Nick, Nick Ramon, Eric. All the guys that you see, like from the World Training Center classes, yeah, yeah. Um, all those guys were all on the original team, competing uh, all over the place. So I, I was just fortunate to uh, be in a position where I uh, I was around, you know what I mean, such great talent, and we just kind of bred and fed, you know what I mean, off of each other, so to speak. Nice, but yeah, yeah. So when you are heading into, you did a competition recently, I remember. Um, uh, yeah. what, what do you do to prepare for that? What do you do to just Definitely. get yourself psyched up? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so I, I boxed on and off, uh, once I got married, my last boxing match was in 2010 and I went back to sport karate in like 2012. So I fought sport karate again, got picked up by a couple international teams. I fought for team velocity and then team Hayabusa. Um, that's when like, I got to go fight in Ireland, got to fly all over the place again, fight again. So this is more recent. This was from 20 uh, – I fought on teams from probably 2013 to 2016, 17. Um, then sponsorship ran out, um, stopped doing as much sport karate, point fighting stuff, and then I've been training Muay Thai kickboxing ever since. So what Greg's talking about is uh, I've had several Muay Thai fights in the last year. Um, so as far as preparation goes, uh, I get to train with, uh, uh so, some of the, some of the, the industry's best, um, when it comes to just all around mixed martial arts. Um, I train at two different gyms here in Orlando, uh, Fusion XL, which hosts a bunch of UFC fighters and a bunch of pros out there. Um, just to name drop a few, Jacare Souza, Mike Perry, uh, Julian Williams is probably the best welterweight in the world that isn't in the UFC. Uh, he's the owner of Fusion XL. Um, I get to train with those guys a few times a week. 
Uh, Mike Scroy is another one of the, uh, he's the head striking coach there. So I get to train with all those guys. And then also I train at uh, American Top Team East under, uh, it's Jason Patino School, which is a little bit closer to this side of town where we live. Um, and uh, I work striking with Will Sizemore there. So I, I kind of train at a couple different places. And really for me, it's just, it's the preparation of training with high level people. Um, that That's really for me what, what, in my mind, because I used to do a lot of different things. Sport karate is, is different than full contact fighting. Sport karate is all about speed, all about being the smarter fighter, how to outwit your opponent. You got two minutes to score more points or five minutes to score more points than your opponent, and then that's it. Full contact, you know, there's knockouts involved. There's, you know, different, okay, are they southpaw? Are they are they conventional? You know what I mean? Are they kickers? Are they punchers? So the, the mindset's a little bit different, but... Watch, thing, watching film and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which, you know, we do, we study in sport karate too, um, but with the full contact and the kickboxing stuff, uh, it's a little different, but in the back of my mind, I'm always saying, well, the, guy, the guys I train against and I'm sparring with two times a week and I'm working with in training are, are far better than anybody I'm going to see in these rings. And, uh, that's the one thing I just tell myself all the time to just keep my mind, right, stay level and uh, get out there to perform. Uh, yeah, my thought, at least being a giant wuss, uh, <laughs> what, what is it like going into a thing? Just knowing like best case scenario, you're still going to get punched. Yeah, of course. You're always going to get hit. That's just one of those things. Um, you're, you're always going to get hit. doesn't matter if it's boxing. It doesn't matter if it's kickboxing, Muay Thai, sport karate, you're, you're going to get hit somewhere. Um, it's in the game of sport karate, you know, speed fighting. It's about, all right, well, I got to hit you and not get hit. You know what I mean? You got to minimize the amount of points your opponent can score on you when it comes to full contact, which when I transitioned back from boxing back into sport karate, it was hard because, I didn't mind taking a shot to give three or four, <laughs> but in point karate, it's all about, Hey, who is who first? So every now and again, you might eat a jab. You might eat a shot to deliver a combination. That's far more detrimental. Um, I don't really know how you can say how, how to prepare for that. Um, you're going to get hit. You know what I mean? You're going to yeah. get hit. It's just, uh, just, I guess getting used to it, just conditioning your body. Um, conditioning your legs, conditioning your shins and, you know, learning to keep your guard up, keeping your chin tucked, things of that nature um, to just, uh, again, you know, better you along that, that path. But of course that sport karate mentality still stays with me, even when it comes to sport karate. Um, I mean, when it comes to full contact, rather, I still kind of use a lot of my footwork and a lot of my movement because the kickboxers aren't used to that. They're used to more stationary kind of stagnant fighters that aren't really like using angles and bouncing and jumping all over the ring more like sport credit competitors are. So I kind of use a little bit of a blend of everything, but keeps me busy, keeps me occupied. It's a lot yes. of fun for me. All so. that training, not to mention, you know, doing it all day. Yes. The, um, let's see real quick. Oh, we're going to get a little deep here. Um, one, uh, how has martial arts affected your everyday life? Just like not just in the ring. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like if somebody if somebody talked to me when I was like 15, 16, even probably like 18, 19, 20 years old, um, would you still be teaching martial arts? Would you be doing martial arts? 
I would say no. I went to school for mechanical engineering. Um, but my love for just being able to uh just teach really and uh just see people progress. That's what that's what that's what I've loved over the years. Um coming up as a tournament kid, um I've done the same for a lot a lot of students. Um Greg, you can attest to that. You see Mr. Junior, Mr. Alex, Mr. Brandon. Those guys all started with me as students when they were five, six, seven years old. Now they're 19, 20 years old, and now That's they're instructors under me. Um, and it's it's very rewarding to see that um, and see kind of the transformation that they've made in their lives. Um, and I just always look at it as, you know, for me, it's not it's not so much like a, a job. It's, a, you know, I just I get to help people. I get to inspire people like for me, like I'm a motivational speaker. Like that's what I do. I get on the mat. Yeah. I teach these kids how to kick and punch, how to move, um, how to be tough. But like really, tell my kid to do his pushups. Right. Yeah, and then you tell it, him to exactly. do his pushups right again. Hey, again, Hey, you got, you got <laughs> to again him sometimes yeah. 5,000 times, man. That's, that's, that's just the law of numbers. That's with all these kids. Um, and adults too, man. You know what I mean? We obviously we teach adults as well. Teenagers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jimmy's pointing. We'll get all you guys in class, man. We'll get all you Greg. I'm a <laughs> Hey, I've been trying to get Greg in there for a while. I want to do it. I just gotta I, I, I got to find the time. That's the thing. Yeah, I'm all, It's uh, tough. It's tough. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I'm constantly I'm constantly impressed with the the student teachers because like they're, you know, last year uh someone graduated. I think it was Bra- uh, Brandon, right? Mr. Brandon, yes. And I was like like they hold themselves like they're in their like late 20s. Yeah. Like all of them. Yeah. yeah. And they, it, he graduated, the, he graduated high school with his AA degree already. Yeah. So wow. he, was dual, he was doing dual enrollment. Um, at the same time he was doing high school working, competing still. And, uh, yeah, there's some, because that, that, that was me, you know what I mean? That's what, that was me when I was in high school. And like, I tell these kids, these kids who, you know, some kids, and again, it's, you know, whatever, there's a stigma nowadays. Uh, maybe kids are softer, but I don't allow that to be, um, what happens to my students. I try to teach my students that hard work, it, it breeds results, you know, and uh, effort equals results, regardless of what that may be. It doesn't matter if it's martial arts or if it's life, but, uh, you know, kids are complaining about training twice a week. I said, I trained five days a week and at basketball practice and competed all over the place. And I was in all AP classes. Like, like, why are you guys complaining to me? You have one hour of homework, you know, so, you know, I always use my personal experience to to clap back at them and say, hey, mm-hmm. man, I did it. You can do it, too. It's about, you know, the heart that you put into it. So that's it. Yeah, you, I think you kind of already answered the next question here. But we'll mm-hmm. uh, what, what is uh, more enjoyable for you, your own successes or watching one of your students succeed? Um, my own successes are great. You know, it's it's awesome. And I've had different different points in all of my different careers where I've won you know, a grand championship or I've won this or that, but, uh, really just seeing my kids, man, seeing my kids grow, like, like I can name close to 20 students that I grew from white belt to black belt that became instructors are still either still instructing or now that they're in like a professional job. Like one of my students, she just, she got her law. She just became a lawyer this year, passed the bar. I have another student. He's an engineer, another student, um, is a contractor. So, you know, but these guys, like they were instructors either at my studio or at another one of our branch locations, but I raised them. 
And uh, even the ones that don't go that far, like they check in with me every now and again, you know what I mean? Like even like the kids that aren't my close kids, like my competition team kids, those are probably the kids that are closest to me. But even the other kids, they check in like, hey, Mr. Obeda, you know, they'll send me a message on Father's Day or they'll send me a random message saying, hey, I had finals this week. And I just want to say thank you so much because I wanted to go to sleep, but I stayed up studying because I heard you in my ear saying, you can't go to sleep. You can't quit right now. You got to ace this test. You know what I mean? It's like all those little things that really make a, a big difference. And uh, even the kids that I only teach for three months, I know that deep down there's something that I was able to impact positively. And over the years, the 18 years of me teaching, that's thousands of kids. Um, and now that we're doing this virtual training thing and yeah. we're doing virtual classes Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for our CMA locations all over the country, which some of those classes have two to 300 students in them. I can <laughs> make those numbers go up a little bit more, you know? So for right. me, it's about, uh, just the impact, the impact. Yeah. Nunchucks had like 188 today. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They're, 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 they're fun classes. You know what I mean? It's it, the virtual training in itself is, is a challenge. We have to have a different energy when we teach virtually. Um, then we're, you know, in the, in the, in the studio. Yeah. I can tell your voice is a bit shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Man, I, I gotta say when we start doing, um, more video content that I, I think we should have a, like on the job, uh, you know, where we, we take some instruction, the three of us, oh God, nothing would uh, go That'd well. Be awesome. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. That would yeah, not I'd go like well. It. Nah, it'd be good. My brother can shoot the video. We got yeah. our own professional uh, video equipment for oh, awesome. the music stuff that we're doing. So uh, I'll I'll tell my brother to bring his gimbal, bring the lights in, and we'll have some fun. Nice. With you guys, and then uh, we'll edit something and have some fun with you guys. Nice. Well, actually, that leads I directly to Jimmy's asked, question. Yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better segue, sir. Um, <laughs> now, you're wearing the hat. And, yes. Uh, I, I was able today to do a little um, research into some of that music you talked about. Tell us about Orthodox Sounds. Yes. So Orthodox Sounds originally was not my vision. Mm -hmm. um, when I was younger, teenager, I was big into poetry. Um, my 11th grade English teacher, um, she her one pact was that we were all going to have amazing SAT scores and uh, we were all going to get into college with amazing scholarships. So she basically drilled us like we were walking dictionaries every week. We had 30 new crazy words. So what I would do is she like there was different things that we had to do with these 30 random words that who knows? You know what I mean? Just she would pop out with these crazy words. So some people would write a story or they would do analogies or whatever the case may be is I would write a poem with all 30 words or whatever the case may be. is. So that was my thing. Um, in high school, um, got a little bit into the hip hop thing. Um, I used to do like a lot of online topical battles. Um, the stuff I do is like more descriptive in nature, storytelling, um, things, th things of that. But, but I kind of got away from that, um, with teaching and competing and life and kids and everything else. Um, my brother used to be like a battle rapper, <laughs> uh, nice. here in Orlando, uh, back in the day. Um, and, uh, Jimmy too. <laughs> Jimmy was a battle rapper. Yeah, man. He is now. He is now. Awesome. I can set he's, you two up. He's going to be on the next episode of Epic Rap Battle. I'll, I'll battle Greg. I'm confident in that. 
<laughs> nice. But, nice. Uh, yeah, no, as, as far as any anything like that, uh, anything else, um, certainly not. So when did you so when did you get back into it? Yeah. So so my brother, his vision was kind of like uh, he wanted like a Wu Tang vision. Right. So okay. he wanted to. Uh, all right. He was going to start this movement. So Orthodox Sounds isn't like one person. It's more of like a movement. Right. And, right. Uh, basically, like Wu Tang, you got you got Matt, you got Red, you got, you know, Rizzy, you got Jizzy, you got everybody. Right. Um, so that was his original vision. The problem was the people he was trying to work with were not reliable. Even people that were local, Mm -hmm. Um, they were taking three months to write a 16. Like, why are you taking three months to write a 16? Like the verse better be amazing if you're taking that long. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, whatever. So he, he hit me up um, last year. He's like, Hey man, you want to do a track with me? He's like, this isn't working out with some other people. I know you haven't written in forever, but I know you used to write whatever let's let's do something so my first track back was moral to the story um i don't know if you checked out the youtube page or if you watched the video um so moral to the story was uh my first track back kind of just a, a level level flow real simple flow but just i kind of painted the picture just kind of told the story of you know the typical hey grew up in a bad neighborhood you know dad's not around but you don't have to fall into the 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 you know the bad things or the the, the, the wrongdoings that, 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 you know, your parents may have done, you can turn your life around essentially. So that was, that was my storytelling aspect of my verse there. Um, then we had a few other tracks. Um, there was, a um, Cassidy, uh, did a, did a, did a track called So Brooklyn. Um, and, uh, there was, um, Cassidy and Fab, they did a track and uh, it blew up to where it was like the So Brooklyn Challenge, like the hashtag So Brooklyn Challenge. Nice. So a bunch of people were, they were doing their rendition. So we did our rendition, uh, but our rendition was uh, So Muslim. Um, so me and my brother were, you know, my family were born and uh, raised Muslim. Uh, my dad's from Libya. My mom is German, Irish and French. Um, but uh wow. But yeah, so so we did our little rendition of that. Um, and uh, then our last track was uh, Belligerent. Um, that was just, that one we were just having fun on, just acting crazy, yeah, acting out, just doing silly stuff. Uh, more of like a 90s vibe, 90s feel oh, to it. it. Yeah. Running around in the streets. I'm wearing a donkey suit and a straight jacket, <laughs> riding around on a dirt bike. Um, so yeah, just having fun. Um, on that one, I just, I'm just on the hook. I don't, I don't have verses. Well, I do have a small, I, I spit an eight at the end of that track, yeah. um, but uh, we're currently working on an EP. We have several other tracks that are already done. We shot a video last week, um, Tuesday, Tuesday, we shot a video last week um, for another track. Um, so we're kind of all over the place, but mm-hmm. basically orthodox sounds. Um, I'm just helping out my brother, whatever he needs me for whatever this kind of takes off to, I'm just kind of following in his footsteps. Um, and the cool thing about all of our music is there are no instrument used in any of our tracks. There are, all of our beats are vocal only beats. Um, so everything is made by, 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 oh, by the wow. Band. Yeah. Yeah. And there'll be a few tracks that come out. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but okay. uh, we do kind of like, so Brooklyn, it was a cover of the, so Brooklyn beat. Um, we do a cover of uh, a Fuji's beat um, to uh, our next track. And that one is very hard to tell unless you are like listening with headphones on. Like it sounds like music, sounds like instruments. Yeah. It's all vocals. 
So uh, pretty cool. Yeah, you can tell from watching the video that there's some higher end equipment used because it, it looks good. It sounds good. Yeah. So it wasn't just, you know, you could tell it wasn't just like people running out one day with a couple cell phones and recording stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's certainly the, um, you know, you, you said whatever you can do to help your, help your brother out. Um, keep doing it. I, I think it's amazing. Um, I've always okay. been attracted to, um, I guess opposite sides of the the spectrum. The first album I bought ever bought was uh, Thirty Six Chambers. So um, I've always been on that end of the spectrum, and then and then the other side of the the coin is is what I guess people have referred to as socially conscious or you know socially responsible rap, um, such as Orthodox and um, Keep It Up. Um, I, I dig it. It's it's a lot of fun and uh, and you know easy to listen to, but also mentally challenging at the same time. Definitely. So definitely and a lot of thought in there. I think I think that's the that's kind of like you know it's it's tough for us. We listen to you know we hear what's kind of out there nowadays. I I'm like a old school East Coast hip hop head. Like I grew up on like lyricist like i still listen to pharaoh monch and Mos Def and talib nice. Kweli, like like lyricist so i'm mm-hmm. I listen to music not for the noise i li- i'm listening to the words the 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 you know double entendres the metaphors you know the imagery within the music not sure. necessarily the sound um and all this mumbly nothing against <laughs> it um, sure you know kind of the trap stuff that's out now mm-hmm. uh, that's not really us um yeah. but we're gonna kind of we're gonna. We got some stuff on deck. We got some different. Uh, our producer has put some stuff together um, that kind of sounds a certain way, but we're still gonna put our spin to it. And then uh, you know we have some tracks that are kind of you know have a religious connotation to them, mm-hmm. uh, and some like you mentioned are just conscious. Um, you know, maybe some might be political. Some might be um, you know just day to day. You know everyday struggle type stuff. Some might be just kind of feel good or just have fun, like belligerent, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't want to show kind of, you know, the versatility of what, what we're able to do, um, but still kind of stay true to like older school hip hop, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Speaking of more old school style hip hop, I guess in the video for belligerent, there's some uh, really cool effects. Um. <laughs> perhaps uh, some effects that you might see in the uh, the film that we're going to get to here in a, a, a second. <laughs> definitely, um, definitely. Which I, I, I certainly can appreciate. Um, how, what do you think brings those two worlds together? Why do they work so well together? Um, why, why, why is hip hop and, and the martial arts, um, how does that work? Why does it work? Yeah. Um, I think, I think, uh, I, I would say like Wu Tang specifically, um, had, had a big, um, impact. I believe, um, they've got tracks where that's pretty much what they're talking about. They're just, they're talking about martial arts, um, or they're using martial arts as a metaphor for what they go through uh, in day-to-day life. Um, again, I can't, I 
I can't speak, you know what I mean, a hundred percent on on everybody because again, not not all hip hop artists, you know, are martial artists um, mm -hmm. or you know what I mean, have had that influence per se. Um, but even in the in the hip hop or even even in the martial arts community um, nowadays, I can't say as much because I'm not big on the sport karate scene. But like when I was growing up as a kid, like you know, hip hop, that, that was the stuff, you know what I mean? Everybody had their, their headphones on getting ready to fight or whatever, and just bumping whatever was out new, you know what I mean? New Busta Rhymes or new this or new that, whatever was out at the time. Um, I think just the, the, the beat, you know, cause martial arts has a certain rhythm to it, right. A certain flow to it. Mm -hmm. I think the beat, um, as well as you can kind of escape within the words, um, which, you know, with martial arts, there's, there's a lot of discipline involved. There's a lot of like uh, self-peace or thought that you have to kind of bring your body to. So I think maybe those two are in, in some way, shape or form kind of synonymous. Nice. So we're going to do our quick questions here. Is any, uh, any longer form questions, guys? No. I've been talking your ears off. You guys are probably no, no, no. by now. <laughs> no, I love that kind you of stuff. You mentioned that you've done karate as well as boxing and uh, Muay Thai, I believe you said. Um, are there any other uh, disciplines that, you, that you've that you tried or attempted or looked into or experimented with or anything like that? Definitely. So, um, like, I grew up, uh, we did a traditional ITF, uh, Taekwondo, uh, in our okay. school. Um, but uh, the open circuit tournaments, just the kind of generic name is sport karate, just because there isn't a particular style that has to be represented at that tournament. So you might okay. have Kempo competitors, you might have uh, Gojuru Shotokan competitors, you might have a little bit of everybody at that event. You have yep. a Kung, Kung Fu stylist, you have everybody um, at these events, um, which is kind of a beautiful thing. Um, and from that, I've I've had the opportunity to train at seminars with all different um, sorts of martial artists. Um, I've also trained uh, in Shitoru slightly, um, a little bit of that. Uh, one of my coaches um, for quite some time is a Goju stylist, a Goju stylist, uh, Murphy Gonzalez down in Miami. So, uh, you know, kind of train with him a little bit. Um, then also uh, one of my good friends, he runs a Kempo school. So not that I'm training actively in the curriculum base of it, um, but you know, training, training with those guys. The only other thing that I did, I did do BJJ Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for some time, um, under, uh, one of Paul Rodriguez's black belts, uh, Julius Mobley, who he actually runs one of our championship martial arts schools here in Orlando, Florida. Um, he runs our Conway location and he has a Jiu Jitsu program at his studio. Um, super high level, super knowledgeable. So I did BJJ with him for quite some time. Um, learned a lot from them, um, but we got out of doing the sessions. We actually used to do sessions two to three times a week at my studio because it was centralized for everybody to come train at. Um, but of course, life happens and things happen. Um, and I haven't really got back into it, partly because of, uh, I don't want to say because of diabetes, but I wear a glucose sensor on my inner mm -hmm. thigh. Um, anytime I pull guard, I keep it on my thigh because on my stomach or my arm, it gets knocked off when I'm training, training my inner thigh. It's usually pretty safe, even kicking and moving and sweating. I wear a special table on top of it. But as soon as I pull guard or I'm passing or I'm, I, it gets ripped out and the sensors, they're not cheap and they're supposed to last for a week. So I've mm -hmm. really kind of shied away from being able to do BJJ more often. 
um, simply because of those glucose sensors. But right. hey, technology changes and maybe that'll change over the years. And instead of just doing stand up stuff, maybe I'll get into some MMA stuff in the future just for fun. <laughs> it sounded there- like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, it sounded like what you were describing was a Kumite. Yes, essentially, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are there are there any styles that have been particularly difficult for you to face or is it all just kind of like once you're into it, it's all just a, a slight difference or. Yeah, great question for me, like I'm like uh, I have the white belt mentality. Um, mm-hmm. I can learn from anyone like I will go do a seminar. I will go do a class with someone who I think that absolutely I'm a better martial artist than them or I could beat them like that doesn't matter. That's not on my mind when I go to take a class. When I go to take a class, I'm pulling one, two, three, however many gems of knowledge from that individual that I can. So I'm whenever I go train with somebody else, like I'm a white belt, like I'm just there. I'm having fun. Like I love to train with whoever, like I don't care who it is, where it is, like whatever you want to do, let's go do it. Let's train. I just like, I just love training. I love learning. You know what I mean? The aspect of learning and growing um, is just, it's just fun. There's something fun about that for me, I guess. I think that's certainly the right kind of approach to take in, in many different avenues in life. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So we're going to do some quick questions here. This is like a speed round. Oh, so first thing that comes to mind. Yes. Uh, favorite oh. movie. Oh man, this is tough. I I'm know. Gonna- <laughs> this. We I won't hold you to I, it. I don't know that I have a favorite movie. Oh, Marsh- sticking, come on, come, hurry up. <laughs> Martial arts movie or movie in general? Any movie. It's gonna be the notebook, isn't it? <laughs> Fried green tomatoes. No. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, Hacksaw Ridge, I really enjoyed. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I've seen that. War yet. movies. War movies ah. bring me back to my gramps. It gets me real emotional. I like that. Nice. Uh, we'll go favorite musician. Feral Munch. Nice. Another one. I don't. Know. Super lyricist. Yep. Yeah, you you can listen to the same song five times and not hear all the uh, double entendres that yeah, he puts I, in. Your- I, I feel the very same about Aesop Rock. He yes. kind of my like, oh wait, how did he string that together? Yeah, what does he mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yep, that's what I love. Uh, pre-match meal. I'm not a big eater. Um, 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 um. Usually something that has just level carbs in it, like a grain, like a quinoa or like a flat pasta kind of thing. Um, something that won't hit, sit like sit heavy in my stomach. Gotcha. And also make my blood sugar go crazy because I'm diabetic. So I got yeah, to sure. go back to. So I asked this question the other day. They're doing a they're doing a and a for all the students to uh, one, take a little bit of the burden of, you know, us parents having our, <laughs> our kids home all the time. Yes. Um, so they're letting some of the questions be asked to them. So the other day, the question was the, the dream celebrity matchup. And when I asked the other day, I did, because it was work related, I didn't, I was like, I didn't want it to get like, you know, too political. Be like, yeah, there's someone I really, there's someone I really want to punch, punch in the face. That's so fight clubby though. That's, that's, that's a fight club question. Like, living or dead, who do you want to fight? Yeah. Like, well, one of the Jimmy was going to do, or someone was going to do the most punchable faces. And like, I couldn't do it because it was all politicians. 
<laughs> yeah, that was and like one. I didn't want to end up that. on. A, I didn't want to end up on a watch list. <laughs> Definitely. And so I also, you know, that I've got students. I do up. have students that listen to this, and I try to keep that part away mm-hmm. from them because it just it's not what I'm being paid to teach and all that stuff. But that being said, your dream celebrity matchup, or it can be anyone in history, living or dead. Yes, living or dead. Yeah, you will go Fight Club route. Wow, living or dead, that's tough. Oh, but, and uh, there will be no but, money. In, no money at stake at this time. See, see that. See that. That that was that was my that was my reason for answering Floyd Mayweather. Um, that was <laughs> the kids, the kids, when when they when they asked that last week, I said Floyd because that's the biggest payday, man. I'll fight Floyd, and I'll definitely get some shots off on him. So, uh, but hey, if if it he was, would never accept that fight, by the way. <laughs> no, of course not. Because he wouldn't get paid would he get paid to fight McGregor again or Pacquiao. Well, he, won't, he won't fight you if he thinks you've got a chance of beating him. Well, I'm not saying I have a chance of beating him. I'm several weight classes above him, but <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm not, I'm not nearly at Floyd's level, obviously, but I definitely make sure I hit him at least a few times. Can, make my can, money. You, tell I was, can you tell I was a Pacquiao fan? <laughs> hey, you and me both, brother. You and me both. He um, ducked Pacquiao for so many years until Pacquiao was over the hill. I was like, come I know, on, dude. I know. He ran away it's from him. terrible. Hey, there yep. might be a second one. You never know, man. Money talks. Um, if, there was, if there was no money involved, I think I would love to fight Muhammad Ali. Oh. Mm. I think I, I would love to fight Muhammad Ali. Yeah. That'd be... That'd be... In his in his prime, not not hey, uh, in his prime, in not his prime, at, man. not Atlanta Olympics, Muhammad Ali, because that's nah. probably the only one I could take. I mean, it's just <laughs> mm. yeah, even still, still. Definitely. yeah, I give him a little sport, yeah, he probably a little sport still karate footwork, man. <laughs> yeah, I move around a little bit. I'll, I'll try to last a few rounds. Nice. Well. That is the interview portion of the day. Let's move on to. Wait, wait, wait! I do oh, have sorry. one oh, other question. Sorry, sorry. One, one other question. Uh, well, two. One last thing. Um, you answered <laughs> your favorite movie. What is your favorite martial arts movie? Favorite martial arts movie? Yes. Have to be Sidekicks. Really? You wow. Movie? Oh yeah. I, I'm familiar with, with Chuck, it. Yes. With Chuck Norris. I forget the other actor, but the kid's name was Barry. He was asthmatic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that's probably my favorite martial arts movie. Wow. We gotta, Excellent. We got to cover that someday. Now, my my follow-up question is, is when you watch movies that have martial arts in it. That, that's going to be the give me five question, Rob. Having so. the martial arts background that you have, are you like me when I see medical medical shows where I'm like, oh, that's total bullshit. That doesn't work. Yeah. That's yeah. total bullshit. What is that? <laughs> does it, does it kind of ruin it for you when you see these movies? Um, I, I can appreciate certain things like the crouching tiger, hidden dragon, rope, flying, flipping that, that stuff is like way far fetched. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, like when these guys are taking shots and they're spinning parallel to the ground, well, like people can do what we would call like a butterfly twist, for example, Mm -hmm. like I teach kids how to do that and land on their feet, you know? So those aren't far fetched techniques that wouldn't really happen in a real fight it just looks cool in movies so Mm -hmm. i can appreciate kind of the tricking that goes involved in a lot of fight scenes nowadays um but i am kind of like nitpicky or critical um like for example john wick like john wick 2 like that one scene Mm -hmm. where he's fighting but like what you got to understand is like the technique okay that that's not realistic that that would ever go that way or even like equalizer denzel right but like when you look at the technique that actually mm-hmm. 
is used and like Keanu, like he legit trains. Like Keanu did a ton of judo training for that. Yeah, movie. he did. And he does a ton and of firearms and everything. Training. I mean, yes, he did a ton lot of weapons training. That's the only reason why I appreciate Keanu. I I believe he's a terrible actor personally. Like, <laughs> like he does the Matrix perfect because of the flat affect, right? Like he's like like John Wick. It plays perfect for him, right? Like I don't think he could ever play like a happy hyper role. Um, the, the only role he ever played that was any different than the Neo role was Bill or Ted. I mean, from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Mm. Yes, that's the only yes. role that he's ever done where he where he did anything different than Neo. Yeah, yeah, I know. But uh, but the, he he's great at what he does um, and he does a lot of research and a lot of training goes into uh, making it all look legit and real. So mm-hmm. I would say, you know, what I mean, like stuff like that, I, I definitely appreciate. So. Excellent. All right. So we are going in going to move into our movie of the week. That is The Last Dragon which was released originally March 22nd, 1985, directed by Michael Schultz, written by Louis Vanosta, and starring uh, Tamak, Vanity, two people with one name. Interesting. Uh, Julius Carey, Christopher Murney, Faith Prince, and more. Uh, The synopsis real quick of the movie, just in case you guys somehow out there have not seen it or know nothing about it. uh, Hold on, hold on, hold on. Can I I interject? Oh, yep, yep, sorry. All right. If you know nothing about this movie, just watch Kung Fu Panda. It's the same movie, but it takes place in Harlem. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're not wrong. <laughs> oh, wow. Sorry, I, I, sorry, some, sorry. I, no, I somehow did not catch that at all. But you are not wrong. <laughs> uh, in New York City, a young man searches for a master to obtain the final level of martial arts mastery, known as the Glow. Uh, the way we start off this thing is usually just talking about initial thoughts about rewatching the movie. So, yeah, I love this movie. Okay, so Rob is going first. <laughs> I, I mean, it it is so much fun. It's it's kind of ridiculous. It's right in that in that period that was very high in the uh, black exploitation films. Um, I, I think it was towards the end of that. Because I think it's I think it started in like the early to mid seventy, um, and it and it it was kind of towards the tail end of it. But I mean, this movie was so much fun, and the the whole Bruce Leroy thing is just absolutely ridiculous. And Shownuff is so over the top, as well as Eddie Arcadian. They're so much fun to watch and listen to, and everything like that. It's I. I just love this movie, and I always go back to it. It it it's one that I own, and. And I was so jazzed that last year at MegaCon, I actually got to meet Tamac. Nice. I, I got a picture with him and everything. I was like, dude, I don't usually take pictures with celebrities, but I'm taking a picture with you, man. I love this movie. He was such a good, he was such a cool dude too. Yeah, he was. That's actually how I, I got a chance to meet up. Thanks to Rob paying for a picture. So I guess I'll go. Um, I'd seen this movie in pieces. Over the years, um, this was honestly probably um, the only time I've ever seen it start to finish um, without any interruption. And all I can think, there's so many things that I reference that uh, come from this movie. And I may not have realized it, might not have put that together. You talk about the opening scene. I always... um, Described the dollar theater in Altamont. It's a picture show. 
I've always described it as kind of the wild west of theaters where you kind of go in and it wouldn't be um, out of the ordinary to have people put down a boombox and start dancing around it. It wouldn't be out of the ordinary for somebody to run up and smash it. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's the theater I described. Um, from the the very beginning, the scene. I was wondering what you meant by that. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that you meant that it was like filmed. He texted us while he was watching it. <laughs> I thought he meant like it was filmed at the theater I used to talk about. No, but it's. It, I mean, it's just something from from thirty years ago. I mean, it just hasn't changed. But uh, and you know, show enough, iconic, the Shogun of Harlem. Um, <laughs> it, it, there's never been another character. Like that, I mean, Mister Nuff, as Eddie Arcadian calls him, Mister Nuff, <laughs> and the uh, the the roving gangs of of guys with you know the ridiculous costumes, and and there's the one woman in the entourage who you just every character that rolls with with Shonuff in this looks like they're from the game Streets of Rage. <laughs> or Double Dragon, or you know, and or Cindy Lauper. Double, Double yeah. Dragon is good. Double Dragon is good. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's so ingrained into popular culture, and uh, this came before any of those references, before any of those games. So um, it was a lot of fun to watch again. And and man, did I have a crush on Vanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So on in my world, it could be because I've been you know locked in a house for what six weeks now. But yeah. like watching this movie, I was just it was just, I want it's not like a feel good movie, but it kind of was a feel good movie at the same time. And it just introduced you to this like sort of weird apocalyptic world where like random martial arts gangs just walk around dressed as extras in like a Motley Crue video. <laughs> And you like see the city and it's like, it seems kind of crime ridden and there's spray paint and, and I'm like a bit of a germaphobe. So uh, you like watch it and you're like, man, everything looks a little bit dirty and a little bit like used, but I wanted to be there. Like it just made it seem like just like this nice homey place for some reason. And I had such great, I had a great time rewatching it. I haven't seen this movie in forever. You wanted to be there, but you wanted to have the skills that everyone there had. I just wanted to eat some real New York pizza. I totally would have eaten pizza at daddy green's pizza. Absolutely would have. It looked, I I could, I could smell the pizza. Direct your pizza to daddy green's pizza. pizza. Uh, so be it, uh, your your initial feelings when you rewatched the movie. Um, so <laughs> I guess this is kind of I guess you guys kind of already asked me about how I like look at movies, and I'm like, well, how's their technique? So it was funny because I texted you earlier um, mm-hmm. how how you said you guys have met Tamac. Um, I'm like, yeah, but I know like the best martial artist in that whole movie. Um, you guys know who that is? Ernie Ray Sr.? <laughs> junior, Junior. Yes, Ernie Ray is Junior. Yep. I did not know that his father was in the movie, too. Yes. Senior yes. was in the movie. And actually, Senior was one of the fight choreographers. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, Ernie Ray is Junior, man. Like, like, as far as from a technical standpoint, like most of the fight scenes were like, 
not great technique. You know what I mean? Like there's a couple, you know, cool, whatever. Again, it's the eighties and you have to just kind of appreciate, um, like the choreography behind a lot of it. But, uh, Ernie Reyes's fight scene was hands down, like the best, so good, best part of that whole movie. Like, I don't know how old he was. I'm trying to remember how old he was there, but like just his jump straight back kicks, like everything just so crisp, like his Mm -hmm. technique so sharp and so crisp. You know what I mean? Even at such a young age um, back then, like, like I see kids now, like we develop kids to be like sharp nowadays, like early, but like we're talking back then, you know what I mean? So, and back then you didn't have kids, kids didn't train in the eighties, you know, like it wasn't, Kids didn't walk into dojos, you know what I mean? Bef- like before the Karate Kid, especially, you were an adult. Like kids didn't train, period. So uh, for me, um, that was like the biggest thing that stood out. Um, I grew up up north, so you know, just kind of like the grimy dirtiness of everything. Not that I like that, but not that I necessarily relate a hundred percent to it. But there's just something to me that just I don't know, kind of feels at home in that environment. And uh, you kind of see like with the whole vanity in the club and how she's all dazzled up always. And then, you know, Arcadian as well. Like you see both sides to it. You see the glamour and then you see kind of like the roughness. And those are like the things that really stood out to me the most. I I like the imagery when it comes to uh, things of that nature. So I think uh, Ernie Reyes had to be about about 11. I think he was born in 73. Okay. I I was doing some research on him. Um, Apparently he had some bad kidney problems a few years back. Yes. Yes. Um, so I know that there was a, a GoFundMe that it 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 made its. I actually considered donating, then I realized that it had gotten finished into 2015. You know, you know, he trains UFC. He train he trains uh, uh, uh Nate Diaz. Like he's one of he was there in um, Nate Diaz's corner for his last fight for the oh, wow. baddest mother effer belt that him and uh, or him uh, yeah yeah so. Uh, so yeah, yeah, he uh he he trains like and I think his daughter does movies now. Hmm. Let's say his daughter is in movies. Yeah. Family, family he's business. Cool he's a cool guy. <laughs> and I still remember him from like the, the the I don't know if you remember Disney Sunday night movie, but when he did The Last Electric Night and movies mm-hmm. like uh Red Sonia and you know, just all of that. I think he was even right. one of the bodies for the turtles, wasn't he? Right. For one yes, of the turtles. He was in the turtles. He was in the rundown with the rock. He fights yep. the, like in the jungle. And and when I saw the when I saw the rundown, I was like, is, Whoa, I know that guy. Is that Ernie Race Jr.? <laughs> yep. I was like, yep. holy yep. shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that stuck that stuck out to me about this movie in general was just I love the the innocence of of Bruce Leroy or Leroy mm-hmm. uh, in this movie and then you read that it was like it was Tamax's first acting job, and I was like, wow. for that to be his first acting job, like I think the innocence of it being his first acting job actually helped that character. Yeah, yeah. Because like some of the awkwardness seems so like the the car ride seems so legit that I was like, man, that was great casting, whether you meant to do it or not. Yeah. And and I love the uh, the kung fu montage at the beginning because what else says kung fu other than chopsticks there was a whole section in the kung fu montage where he was like fiddling with chopsticks i'm like what 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 is this wasn't he eating he was eating popcorn in the in the movie theater with chopsticks yeah he was yes yes yes. yeah 
so ridiculous. Oh, but I do want to ask you, um, because at one point the um the kid who claims that he has no idea how to fight, I think his name was Johnny, or mm-hmm. um he whips out some pretty impressive nunch- nunchuck flipping. And yeah, I'm like yeah. I'm like, was that was that legit? Was that any good? Or it was it was it was basic in nature. Uh-huh. Um like Ethan can do all the same moves. Okay. Um he just did it real quick, you know what I mean? Super uh-huh. fast. He, he he looked good doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, nunchucks is like my forte, so I was like, okay, uh, yeah, all right, looking looking good, yeah. So uh, so yeah, he 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 looked good. He looked good in that scene, absolutely. All of the listeners are wishing this was a video show, talking about n- like nunchucks and whatever. And I've I've seen the, some of the presentations; they're awesome. <laughs> the the other thing that was really unique about this movie are just these, just the roving bands of thugs. And I think one of you guys mentioned it, the, uh, the fact that they all have their own little themes. Um, and sure enough, just the way he announces himself as he walks into that movie theater, <laughs> like the one kind of twitchy eye, mm-hmm. like, like I heard that you know, I'm the baddest, but I heard there's someone wor- better than me. Like, it just it paints this great world where there's people just walking around trying to like challenge people to fights just because. And how many people in this friggin' theater knew karate or <laughs> some form of martial art? Because it was like sixteen people jump up uh, on the stage it, and start throwing kicks and punches. Nobody <laughs> nobody beats the guy who who stood up and took his jacket off and was wearing like a pink tube top. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, up on the balcony. I love that dude. People are scared of him. Like, why don't you sit down and shut up? (laughs) The big old fat guy wearing the pink tube top. I was like, what? It's a different time. The giant Asian guy that was there with the trend. Oh, Lord. That gets his head beat into the stage. Don't mess up that face, bro. Which is really sort of modern in a way. <laughs> like it was pretty, it was pretty forward thinking. But yeah, like the guy at the top, like he he didn't seem like he was even supposed to be in the movie. It's like the guy sometimes, in the tube top. Sometimes <laughs> like, that's like the best. Sometimes yeah. things work out, man. Just throw a bunch of people and see what happens, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like he's like, I'm trying to watch a Bruce Lee movie. Like, uh, could you sign this for me? Want to use this cut? <laughs> um, the Really, the next thing that stood out to me on this was the soundtrack, which, of course, it was going to be awesome because Barry Gordy, you know, produced the movie. And this is like one of his dream projects. And, of course, he was, you know, Motown. But I on a a separate uh, note, Barry Gordy, The Temptations. Have you guys seen that Broadway show? I saw No, I haven't. I saw the Motown show. I I went to New York last year. Uh, It's called A2 Proud um, because uh, one of my old students who... Uh, his brother was uh, Eddie. He played Eddie. Uh, he's a Timber Creek graduate, Jeremy Pope. He's on a Netflix oh, okay. that airs tomorrow. So watch it. It's called Hollywood. Uh, Jeremy Pope right here from uh, Orlando, Florida. He, he was up for uh, Tony this year, right? He was up for, yeah, he was. He was. Um, so super talented kid. Um, his son, or not his son, his brother is one of my black belts. Real good friends with his dad. Um, and his mom, my, my, my wife and his mom are real tight. So sorry to go off on the oh, table. No, no, no. It's all right. Very Gordy reference. Yeah, run it up. The, the, the Motown show that came to Orlando not too long ago, um, was stunningly good. 
Nice. Like Jimmy can attest like every so often I, we used to play music in class together and he, there was always synthesizer stuff and whatever. And every so often I would take over and be like, no, we're, we're going Motown for a little while. Um, so that's cause that's what I grew up with. Yeah. Like, um, my mom, that's like all she listened to. So like, it was weird because I didn't know how she knew a lot of these musicians. Cause like some of them were like, I'm going to say underground, but, mm. but like Rockwell and, and the, band DeBarge. So when I liked El DeBarge, my mom was like, oh, they're from the band DeBarge. I'm like, how did you know that, mom? Because when you're, you know, eight or nine, you think you know more than your parents. <laughs> so like, when I started hearing all these bands again, I'm like, oh, man, I forgot how good the soundtrack to this movie was. <laughs> it was just, and of course, Vanity, you know, with her, with the performances and stuff. Yeah. And that whole like side story of the, the musicians and the kidnapping and all that stuff is just so... It makes sense based on who's directing the movie, but it's like a whole other movie within the movie. Yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting. No, I definitely, I definitely feel like the soundtrack definitely, um, it, it plays a big role in just everything in general with this movie and, you know, how they sync everything together with the music, whether that be fight scene or whether that be, you know, dance club or music video or whatever's going on. Like, the music kind of like it bring it brings everything kind of together. You know what I mean? It, it fits it all together, man. Absolutely. So, so what was in the aquarium? Does anyone know? <laughs> they still have never said anything. <clears throat> no one said some no kind of piranha kinda, something. Yeah, right? that's what I was thinking. Some kind of crazy piranha. But it looked like it had hair. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. They they did ask the actor. And the actor with his had no sense of um, imagination about it. He said, actually, it was just a metal pipe <laughs> that would that would spin around and vibrate. And he also, if you notice, when he gets his head, the, the actor that plays the Arcadian, mm-hmm. after he gets his head smashed into the water, he they hit he hit his head on the pipe. So if you pull, see when he gets pulled out of there, he actually has blood yeah, running on his head. Yeah. So that's real. Oh. Yeah. Nice. So that it's apparently it's a, a vicious, uh, hungry metal pipe in the thing. Excellent. Excellent. There's a, there's not a lot. It's interesting because usually we do the LA's old movies and because they're called classics, there's always like a lot of trivia and stuff. This one didn't have a lot because they, it was low budget. They used every cent that they could have and they didn't play around. They just made the movie. There was no rewrites. There was just, there's no behind the scenes footage because it was the footage is what they used. So it's actually pretty impressive that many people doing choreographed fighting and not having to leave anything on the cutting room floor. Yeah. I I watched this movie with with Jimmy, not not our Jimmy, but my friend Jimmy. And who who is Chinese? And we got to the part where the the three guys at the fortune cookie shop were introduced and he was like, "Now that's what I'm talking about. If you're going to culturally appropriate our stuff, we're going to culturally appropriate yours." And it was like, "That's so hilarious!" Because you had you had uh, black guys acting like Asian guys, and you had Asian guys acting like black guys, and it was like everybody was all mixed up. It was hilarious. But the the thing that the thing that I love most, it, I kind of discovered by accident. You know the three guys that run the fortune cookie shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I told uh, Greg and Jimmy this at one point, but do you, do you know what their names are in the movie? 
Nope. They never say their names in the movie. I happen to be scrolling through the cast, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. Those three guys' names are Hugh Yi, Du Yi, and Lu Yi. <laughs> like Huey, Dewey, and Lu. I was like, are you? And it's it's H-U-Y-I and D-U-Y-I and L-U-Y-I. I was like, oh, my God. This is ridiculous. I love this. I love this so much right now. That's awesome. It, and, and they're just, yeah, there, there's so much about this movie to, to just enjoy. <laughs> um, the There's like so much footage in this movie of Bruce Lee and knowing mm-hmm. a little bit about copyright. I was like, man, was that like the largest part of the budget? And apparently that was written into the movie. It wasn't just like they did that. It was, it was part of like it was part of. It wasn't like we filmed this movie. We need to fill up some space. Let's just do some more Bruce Lee footage. Like they actually picked the clips beforehand Mm -hmm. and they were lucky that they were able to get it because there was absolutely like if they couldn't get those clips, there was no movie like they they wouldn't be able to fit to finish it. Um, Both And some of you guys uh, talked. I found a documentary. I thought it was really interesting because I've always been fascinated by like the African-American community and martial arts. But I actually found a little documentary online while looking for some of this stuff. Uh, I was, I, it was shot in 2015 and it was about, there's a documentary that came out around that time called, uh, uh, remember Bruce Lee or was it? I am Bruce Lee, I think. And this documentary was like a, a little article that kind of went with it. And it's not just in America that, I guess it would be African-American that the black community likes martial arts. It's in South Africa, it's in England and all that. And they, the, this guy was like, is like a historian of that. And apparently at the point when a lot of like the, the black power type stuff was coming out, that's also when the martial arts movies actually hit the various countries. So that's why a lot of the imagery stuck. And then Coincidentally, right at the same time, Bruce Lee cast Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in uh, which what movie was he in? In which it wasn't Enter the Dragon, was it? I don't think so. It was around the same time, and from that point on, it was like you know, we finally have you know heroes that just aren't sorry, Rob blonde oh, white guys. Oh, screw you! <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's it was really interesting because like. In 1973, uh, if you looked from March to October 1973, there were six foreign language karate films that held the number one spot in America, which is I thought was remarkably interesting considering back then. Game of Um, Death, by the way. Of course. Game of Death is what it was. Um, And then, of course, Jim Kelly was another guy that was in there, not the quarterback. And then the Wu-Tang Clan, of course, blew it completely up by directly referencing things. And uh, the other little thing that was in this documentary I thought was cool was that one third of the, now this is a little different now, one third of the U.S.'s most successful foreign language films, top 25 foreign language films, uh, are actually karate films. Number one was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm. I'm not sure if it still is. Uh, Three is Hero. Six is Jet Li's Fearless. Kung Fu Hustle is number 10. Iron Monkey is 12. Uh, 18 is Protector. And then 22 is House of Flying Daggers. That is probably changed because of Slumdog Millionaire and Parasite. But 
those, it was just it was an interesting look, and I actually kind of wish that we had a theater around here that would do karate films from from Hong Kong and China. That'd be but, pretty cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, like the NZN did that like once a week or whatever. But um, so what else you got, guys? I was I was shocked at the uh, the budget of this movie. I, I I didn't realize they had a ten million dollar budget. Um which seems like a lot for one for when the movie actually came out and for, I mean, how much of that actually went to the Bruce Lee movie? <laughs> for, yeah. For, for using to buy the, the footage, footage, probably quite a bit, and, but it actually did make I'll, its money back, which I'm, I'm very happy about. Yep. At least a million dollars went to camera equipment. Wow. I did see, I did see that because remember with Motown, he needed to shoot videos too. So he, had, there was a lot of pioneering stuff. So a million dollars went to camera equipment and the disco studio, which I believe Diana Ross actually bought for her tour afterward. The fact wow. I think I saw that. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah, the, I had to go deep on the facts on this one. Uh, the movie did open with five million dollars to five million two hundred fifty four dollars, uh, and it ended up grossing twenty five million seven hundred fifty four. Um, thousand two hundred eighty-four dollars, and it obviously has made its money back in repeated showings and DVD sales, video yeah. sales. Yeah, I mean, I have this movie in my collection. You have it in your collection. I have it in my collection. Yet I still, I, I still watched it on Amazon Prime or Hulu or whatever it's on. So it's definitely made its money back. Um, and I think for all all you listeners out there, if you have not seen this, it's it's just a fun getaway for a little while. It's bite sized what like an hour and twenty minutes or something. Yeah, yeah, but it's it, it, you're you're right, Greg. It really is just a fun movie. It's it's enjoyable. It's something that you can sit down and you. Eh, I don't remember. Is there any profanity? I was going to say it's probably something you can even sit down and watch with the kids. Yeah, there's there's one there's one I, there's, I, I, there's profanity throughout. There's several. yeah, it, it's rated PG thirteen. There's okay. only one f bomb, but there's one that's yeah. There's there's one like mother effer. <laughs> Every, everything else is a little bit less uh yeah which ironically is the the least believable thing is that all those people in new york are only dropping one mother mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got i think we do before we before we close this out we do have to talk about the glow oh, oh <laughs> yes yeah and then the finale robo i think you're you're always good at this so let, let's talk about the the finale and uh Bruce Leroy finally becoming the last dragon. Well, he, Bruce Leroy ends up fighting against Shonuff or, or, you know, Eddie Arcadian's friend, Mr. Nuff. Um, and, and at one point he, you know, he's familiar with the globe because he's talked to it about, he's talked about it with his sensei and, and he knows that, you know, certain practicers can, or certain practitioners can, can make parts of their body glow. And that's what he's pursuing. and, as he's fighting Shonuff, he finds out that Shonuff actually isn't full of crap and he does have access to the glow and he can make his hands gl- uh, glow red, basically. Do I look like glowing right now? <laughs> so he can make his hands glow red and it makes his, it makes his strikes much more powerful and everything like that. And then he starts to get his, his ass handed to him, basically. And Shonuff starts to basically drown him. And he's Shonuff is really, really an 80s villain in that he's not concerned with actually with actually killing Leroy as much as he's concerned with having Leroy admit that he's better than he is. 
he wants to he wants to yeah. be dominant. He he wants Leroy to admit that he's better than he is. Kiss and my converse. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm so I I think Shonuff is probably the best actor in the whole movie because I love his character. He's so over the top and he plays it so well. What's crazy is he's not in much after that. He's only in like what three other. I checked that as IMDb mm-hmm. off topic, but like it's only like three other films. And that's, that's a shame because he was perfect in this role, but I think he, was, he married, he married somebody who's pretty big. Oh, okay. Um, and so he's, he starts to drown, to drown, um, Bruce Leroy in this, in this little, uh, tank or whatever it is and you know he's dunking his head and then pulling him up and dunking his head and pulling him up and while he's doing that he's getting this flashback and this is where Leroy starts to put everything together all the clues that he's been getting for the whole movie that he's kind of just like glossed over hasn't really paid any attention to him and I think the final one is the one where Vanity's going you look like a master to me you know (laughs) (laughs) And, and and yep. finally, Shonuff pulls his head up and he asks him one last time. And this is the, the line that I quote like all the time from this movie is, who's the master? And he goes to throw a punch at Leroy. <laughs> Leroy catches his fist and he says, I am. And then he gets the whole golden glow. Um, as his entire body glows. And then, of course, he beats the crap out of Shonuff. And, and then he runs off with the girl and everything. <laughs> you actually reminded me of two things. One, the way van the one way the way Vanity looks at him the entire uh-huh. movie. Yeah, she was. She it, was. It's the way she was throwing herself at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, she was. Uh, she was thirsty. Although I'm not sure if I'm if I'm good enough at saying that. I'll never say that she, again. Greg. She looks at. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> but the way what I wrote down was it. She looks at him the way I look at a steak. <laughs> <laughs> and and I have to relay one thing because. Um, watching the the musical number that she did in her club Seventh Heaven completely reminded me of Sherry Belafonte from that movie that I had you guys watch the Midnight Hour when they did the Everybody Get Dead. Oh yeah, the, just just the facial expression she was doing and the move she was. I, I was like, oh my god, she totally reminds me of Sherry Belafonte from that movie. Yep. And the other the other little thing I forgot to mention was the the training montage at the the beginning. We talked about everything except for the fact that he actually hit an arrow out of the, out of the sky as it was flying by him. And that was real. Like they actually did like that training. That's pretty legit. Which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah. Did they fire the arrow so what, slowly or, or was it on a wire so that can. he could? No, they, it took a lot of takes. That was the one thing that took a lot of takes. Uh, when will my child be learning to hit arrows out of the sky? <laughs> um, what about catch bullets with his teeth? There's no way that would Yes. Yeah, there's no way either of those things would end well. <laughs> yeah, I did, that that's pretty crazy that that was real. I didn't I figured that that was some sort of again, movie trickery. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's actually pretty pretty cool. Now, he does I don't know though. Did they actually shoot it or did they shoot it but then throw it from a closer you know, like they really shot it and he caught it? Like cuz he breaks one. I don't. I don't yeah. think he catches the blue one. Caught, I don't think he caught it out of the, the air one. because I fit because the the camera angle that they did it was they like an arc. It was like an arc well, on it. Well, but they didn't show Whoa. him grab it. They just showed him reach up and then come down with it, kind of thing. So mm. I don't. I don't think that that you actually see him snatch it out of the air. So I think they. 
I think it's the one he hit. I, yeah, yeah I think he, he tricked that one. one, but the ones that he broke, he broke in the air. That nice. doesn't sound like that's pretty, that didn't that's sound pretty like legit. Anybody who lives at that house to break one in half than to catch one. If you ask me. Oh, it's definitely the harder if you're just catching it with your chest. <laughs> Shoot, I could catch next one with graduation. my chest. <laughs> that's what that's what we got to do for I wanna, a demo demo performance. Yeah, I want I, I want to see you like shooting arrows at like Alex. <laughs> nice, perfect. I'm gonna send him a text. Yeah. Let him know. Start practicing. <laughs> He's like the nicest. You better kid be ever ready. <laughs> <laughs> so. Closing out the last dragon here, we of course do our give me five question of the week. I warned you about this. Hopefully you had a chance to kind of think about it. And we're going to take the week off, Jimmy, Rob, and myself, because this is all on you. We're going to, it's a top five question, of course, fifth being the fifth most down to one being the most. We want to know the most accurate depiction of martial arts that you've seen in film and TV. It doesn't have to be a martial arts movie. Or show it like could be just one fight scene. It can be anything like that. What are your top five? I think I where you've been like, oh, okay, that's legit. I I'm think I probably. Say that, oh, go ahead, Jimmy. No, I was just going to say I'm going to venture to say based on our conversation earlier that the kumite is real, and I should still aspire to participate <laughs> one day. Absolutely. Hey, uh, just a heads up: they're going to have uh, WK uh, WKF in the Olympics soon. So, like. What they do is kumite fighting. So the rules are a little bit different than like what you see Taekwondo in the Olympics. And then there's also going to be Wako, which is like speed fighting or sport karate, also in the Olympics. Now with this whole coronavirus nonsense, who knows when that'll get pushed to. But all of those will now be like Olympic sports moving forward. Awesome. So yeah, Jimmy, don't give up on your dreams of fighting kumite. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna die. He's gonna Greg, die in Thailand. Um, so One way ticket. Five movies. Yep. I think. I think. I think I gotta put John Wick up there. Um, and then you could kind of put John Wick or The Last Samurai, kind of hand in hand. Both Keanu movies. I think both of those, as far as the martial arts within the movie, are uh, pretty legit. Um, I would also have to say. Was that sorry? Was that Seven Samurai with Keanu? I, I was going to say. Last I think the Samurai last Samurai was Tom, was Tom Cruise. Cruise. Oh, that was Tom Cruise. Then it's going to be that one then, because I think uh, a lot of the the a lot of the kendo swordsmen um, mm. from from that um, it's pretty legit. Thank you for for correcting me on that. Um, so I guess that I guess that would give me two. Um, I like all the uh, the Tony Ja like the. Uh. I don't know if you guys have that uh, dude hits hard. Like, like Jackie is known for doing all of his own stunts and like all of his movies and whatnot. So Tony Jaw is another one of those dudes who does all his own stuff. Super legit. Um, and the cool part of it is it's like, uh, it's not like karate karate. Like it's, it's Muay Thai. Like he's using his knees, he's using his elbows. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of that. Um, how many is that? It's three. I would probably have to throw sidekicks in there, and um, from there aren't really like fight scenes as much in sidekicks. But the cool part is, like, they show a tournament separate mm-hmm. 
Like they show a tournament where there's multiple rings doing different things. Um, an actual guy I used to compete with, another guy, uh, his name's Kim Doe. He's in Sidekicks in the movie Sidekicks. So if you go back and rewatch that, he's doing like a section of the form where he's pumping kicks in a circle and then he like sticks a kick. He's a little kid too. Um, so I don't know if Sidekicks was like 91 or when that came out, 92 or whatever. So he's pretty young um, in that movie. Um, but just the the feel of how tournaments kind of run, mm-hmm. um, Sidekicks kind of uh, brings that uh, out. Um, let's see where Chuck Norris fights Joe Piscopo. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. But I also love that movie because, like, I think that's why that's part of why I always gravitated towards nunchucks. Mm-hmm. Plus, they were just more difficult than the other weapons. Um, and I like more of a challenge, I guess. Staff was easier, commas was easier, so chucks was a little bit more difficult. Um, so what do we have? We got Ungbok, sidekicks. Um, John Wick, Last, last Samurai. Samurai. So you're down to you're down to one. One. Mm. Man, most of Jackie's fight scenes are pretty legit, man. Like most most Jackie Chan fight scenes are pretty, um, pretty legit. And he he still does a lot of work. I know I name dropped Mark Cannizzato earlier. He did a he's been doing work with with Jackie for the last few years and. So yeah, as far as um anything Jackie, um that's tough. I don't know a specific actually any of the drunken master Jackie Chan mm. are are and what what I can appreciate with those movies is like the drunk like the drunken art is like it's an actual style uh of drunken kung fu. And I had uh, several people I would compete against, um, some friends back in the day that actually did that that drunken style. And it's it's not easy. And uh, the way that the movie portrays it and it's actually used in the movie, I would have to say that that it's pretty it's pretty cool, pretty legit. So I guess that's my those are my five right there. Boom. <laughs> nice. An amazing yeah. So. I didn't close it out here. I didn't mention the equalizer, but Denzel is pretty legit in that one. At least the opening scene is legit. Has he has he honorable trained? mention? What was that? We do honorable mention, so you can do like number six honorable mention is the equalizer. I just like I just like the opening scene. Just the calculation of it all and how it all goes down. I enjoyed that. Nice. So uh last but not least here, uh is there any um how do I say this? I don't know if you do you want to like pump any Instagram accounts or YouTube accounts or anything like that. Oh, sure. Um, okay. So hold on, let me, I'll ask it then. I don't want to ask it. You'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, one last thing here. If there's any place that people can reach out to you or watch some of your fights or whatever, uh, how can people find you or see you or whatever? Absolutely. So, uh, your music, of course, my, my personal Instagram is, uh, if anybody would like to follow me is OB OBI underscore I underscore am. So OBI am with the underscores in between. Um, also you could follow our Instagram page. Uh, but really we're looking to, to bump our YouTube page right now for orthodox sounds. Um, that's orthodox spelled a little bit differently. It's got a little uh, spin on the word. I know I didn't talk about it earlier, but it's spelled O-R-T-H-O, ortho, normal, 
D-A-K-A-H. So in, in Arabic, the word ah, uh, um, or like you'll hear people from New York or Philly, they'll be like, what's up, Ak? So Ak is like brother. Like, what's up, man? Like, how you doing? So the play on the word is orthodox. So brother is within that, just like normal orthodox, D-O-X. Um, so yeah, O-R-T-H-O-D-A-K-H-S. Uh, look that up on YouTube. We're the only one. Subscribe. Okay. Check out our videos. We've got the EP coming soon, hopefully in the next few months. New video dropping in the next maybe three weeks. Um, it's in editing right now, so stay tuned. And we will, of course, post all of that on our Facebook page when this episode comes out. Awesome. Thank so you. it's it's an unorthodox spelling of orthodox. Hey, there we go. I like <laughs> Thank you. Guy. The oxymoronic <laughs> play on the word. I like it. Nice. So... Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, guys. It was a lot of fun. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod or email us directly at Give Me Five Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find our store on our website, GiveMe5Podcast.com. More cool things coming on there soon. Definitely check it out. Or go to the store directly if you'd like to support us at GiveMe5Podcast.Threadless.com. Greg, how are we doing this in isolation? (laughs) Well... We are always in isolation because we're stinky. We use a fun little speaker. Uh, oh, they're great. Stank stinky. Yeah. What, why didn't anyone tell me? Because <laughs> you're in isolation, dumbass. No, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, anyway, we record from separate locations. We always have. We record through the web. And it sounds pretty good. Uh, except for, you know. Me sounding like a moron every once in a while. Or farting. <laughs> anyway, we use a, this thing called Squadcast, and they're awesome, so we became an affiliate for them. So if you are a podcaster, or you want to be a podcaster, or just in general you want to record stuff and interview other people, you can use this thing as well. It's really easy. You set up an appointment, you send a link, people click on the link, as long as they have a microphone and some headphones. You can hear them. They can hear you. It automatically records, sends the file back to you, and you can make yourself a podcast. The link for my for our affiliate is sort of ridiculous, so feel free to go to the GiveMeFivePodcast.com or check out our Facebook page or just email us directly and ask us for the link, and it helps us out, and I believe it helps you out as well. Thank you in advance. Yay! Good morning, good afternoon, and good night.
the master. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> uh, either Ethan just killed Alicia or Alicia just killed Ethan. Or one of the two. I'm going to check on that. But you guys are making Mortal Kombat or something. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs>